Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina. Bob, I think this would be a good time before we talk about money and politics and the super PACs and so forth for you to tell us a little bit about Common Cause, its origins and what its purpose is. We alluded to it a little earlier in the beginning of the program, but uh, perhaps you can give us a more in-depth look at the purpose of Common Cause and what you are all about. Sure, Don. I always appreciate that question. Common Cause North Carolina is actually, we've been celebrating our 50th anniversary, founded in 1973. The National Common Cause Organization was founded in 1970. And it's always been about one thing, and that's bringing people together to work for the common good, and that is a better democracy. And of course, it would be, you know, who wouldn't want a better democracy? Our our mission, if you will, is advocating for more open, honest, and accountable government. We're nonpartisan. We work with Republicans and Democrats alike. And we've worked here in North Carolina with both parties to promote better lobbying and ethics laws, which we have in North Carolina. And that was a nice example of getting Democrats and Republicans to work together. We support voting rights. We want to see voting uh, to be made easier rather than harder. We support fair maps. We want the lines to be drawn fairly rather than rigged for one party. And Don, we stood with Republicans pre-2010 calling out the Democrats to um, support a better reform process. And of course, we continue to do that today, even though the Republicans are now in charge. But anybody, Republican, Democratic, or unaffiliated you know, voter alike, we try to work together to promote, again, reforms that we think will promote a healthier democracy. Where does your funding come from, uh, Bob? It's a combination of individual donors. Obviously, we have uh, thousands of supporters across North Carolina, actually in every county. And then we also have foundation. There are great foundations uh, across North Carolina, and some of them also are um, supportive of uh, pro-democracy initiatives. And so it's a combination of donors and foundations. But we are totally doing it on our own. A lot of people sometimes think, oh, well, you get funding from the national common cause, don't you? And we get support, obviously, but we're responsible for raising our own budget here in North Carolina. And uh, they come from those two sources. Let's uh, switch to what we said we were going to talk about in this segment. That is money and politics. And money has always been a factor in politics and been a lot of campaign reform through the years. Uh, there's always been money in politics. And in many cases, we probably are doing a better job of controlling that than ever before. But then we have these super PACs that are raising an awful lot of money and uh, supposedly not coordinating with candidates and running their ads, but obviously there's got to be some coordination there. Um, so what worries you most about the the issue of money and politics at this particular time? Well, you know, Don, when you talked about earlier the media and how we have a lack of reporters and where do people get their information, and these super PACs that have no limits on how much money they can spend either for a candidate or for the purposes of defeating a candidate, uh, what they can do and the kind of negative ads and negative information and in today's world of social media, all the things that they can put their money in 
that is in their own way trying to influence people's opinions, that's what keeps me up. And that's the real danger. Super PACs are unregulated money. We don't know where the money comes from. Uh, you're right. There's supposed to be uh, supposed to be a bright line about no coordination between the super PAC and the candidate. But we know that, you know, that's not the case. Even looking at one of the presidential candidates right now on the Republican side, one of the big super PACs that this person had now has suddenly been replaced by another super PAC. And I was it was reported that um, the candidate was and they can do this legally. There's no coordination, supposedly, but they can go out and solicit money for the super PACs. And that's what this candidate was doing, this this new PAC. So there's far too much money in politics. Yes, it takes money to run campaigns, but there's way too much money. And first and foremost, we need to know where the money comes from. And with super PACs, we don't. When do you think there will be legislation or will there ever be legislation that uh, begins to attack that that uh, gap, that uh, loophole, so to speak? You know, it's a little like gerrymandering, and it's always, I know politicians, unfortunately, it's human nature, uh, as you mentioned earlier, about why politicians draw lines that benefit themselves. It's the same thing about money and politics. We have tried to work with both sides and said, let's bilaterally disarm here. Let's all come together and get some more sunshine on where the money is coming from and some limits. And sometimes you you, you get some interest in that from one side or the other, but it's always elusive to get them to agree at the same time to do it because everything's about winning. And if one party thinks, you know what, we do understand it's a problem, but we are also benefiting from the super PAC. So I don't think we're going to do anything. That's sort of the challenge that we're in. So to answer your question, there are advocacy groups like Common Cause that are pushing for reforms and pushing for more regulations and better transparency. But it's up again to the North Carolina General Assembly and Congress to once and for all decide, yep, we're ready to do it. And so far, they haven't proven that they are. Well, one of the concerns I have is uh, the only way that the uh, Council of State positions in North Carolina uh, get their message out is through political ads. And they are not... uh, they're sort of way down the line in most people's contributions. Uh, most of, so much of the money goes to either the presidential candidates or the congressional races or the Senate races. There's not a lot left over, especially for some of the council of state positions. What's the solution there? Because that, in many cases, is the only way people find out anything about those candidates. Well, you know, there are some, and I'm not saying Common Cause has really taken a position, but some people, Don, will say, we elect too many of these offices, go to and look at other states, and many of these, uh, the state superintendent or the agricultural commission or whatever, are appointed by the governor that wins. Even the office that I used to work with, the lieutenant governor, uh, some states, they run as a team. And there's been arguments made. Why do you have the lieutenant governor running separately from the governor? And you have like what we have right now in North Carolina, where you have the governor of one party and the lieutenant governor of another. And those two part of the executive branch are hopefully supposed to be working more with each other. But when they're of opposite parties, that just doesn't happen. So 
In terms of how they get their message across, I don't really know with, you're right, the um, top of the tickets, presidential, governor, attorney general, when you have a U.S. Senate race involved, those are always going to be the premium races. And then how does a labor commissioner or a treasurer or a state superintendent candidate get their message out? Very, very hard and and very, you know, it's limited. I'll just give you one other quick example. Sorry to keep going. But in the upcoming election, we have one of the state Supreme Court justices races that is going to be open and uh, very important race has an impact for every North Carolinian. And I bet most people don't know about it. And it's going to be hard for those candidates running for that seat to get their message out. Yes, we've, we're talking about all the races. We overlook the judicial races, and, and uh, they, of course, are a very vital part of the, especially state government. They, they are, and sort of the same thing. It's always, you know, I use that word elusive, but not every state has uh, elections for their Supreme Court. Uh, there is uh, certainly a good case to be made that you should have some kind of appointment, uh, maybe process for our judges versus uh, a pure election or a retention election is another uh, way where somebody wins and then they're only uh, eliminated if there's a a call for a retention election. There are other ways that states do this where they appoint some of these council of state offices and or the judges and, you know, love elections, and I think it's always good for the people to have a choice. But at the same time, I think North Carolina has done maybe the second or third longest ballot in the nation in the presidential cycle because of all these offices that we elect. Bob, does it worry you that uh, people are finding it because of the effects of the Internet and how, how many rumors can be created? That people are shying away from running and seeking political office because they know uh, they are exposing themselves to uh, all sorts of bad <laughs> press, I guess you would say, uh, some of which might be true, most of which might be untrue. Absolutely, Don. I mean, I admire anyone who's willing to you know, serve and, and run, but in this climate we're in, I do worry about the quality of candidates that we have uh, for all offices and for on both sides. I'm not saying that the people who are in office are not qualified, but are we getting the very best people possible who are running? And I would say not always. And I think that everything you've just listed is a reason why uh, the money that it takes, the scrutiny that you're constantly under, the fact that there are people trolling, as that word is, on the Internet, just trying to disrupt a person's life or, you know, harass, if you will. Who wants to go through that? Very few people. And I think that, uh, you know, what you see is fewer people, fewer of the best people, if you will, run for office. And in some ways, when we mentioned earlier how a lot of legislative races go uncontested, I think that factors in it as well. Well, you're also taking out about one-third of the potential candidates because they have chosen to register as unaffiliates because uh, they obviously have a much more difficult role. If they decide to run, they probably have to declare either being a Democrat or Republican. And, of course, what happens is those party candidates come back and say, wait a minute, you're not a true Democrat or you're not a true Republican. 
So you're taking out a huge number of very qualified people who just are just not eligible, especially for statewide races. They might be uh, candidates for local races, but they are, they are sort of out of the picture. Make a great point, Don. And indeed, unaffiliated voters are now number one in North Carolina. More people are unaffiliated uh, today in North Carolina than the number of registered Republicans and the number of registered Democrats. And Common Cause North Carolina actually has filed a suit to allow the state to have unaffiliated voters appointed to the state board of elections. Our law currently prohibits such, but we feel that the administration of our election laws, which is what the state board of elections does, should include the number one registrant, if you will, of um, voters in North Carolina, and that's unaffiliated. So that's just another example to your point, where people who are um, unaffiliated, uh, they're they're shut out. They're shut out of running for office, and they're shut out from being appointed to things like the state board of elections. Well, in many cases, appointed to anything, uh, right. uh, and that's that's politics. And and uh, but it's unfair, and it's taking an awful lot of very qualified people out of the picture. Uh, it worries me a great deal, um, and. Uh, I guess that's just something we'll have to work with in the future and see. Uh, do other states have as many registered unaffiliates as North Carolina does? Or is this just a case of us being that purple state? I think it's a lot of being that purple state. I think some of the more you know deep red, deep blue states don't have the unaffiliated numbers. But, um, you know, the truth is, too, unaffiliated, many of them sort of know where they want to go, Republican or Democratic, uh, not all, but there is, but there are a fair amount of those folks who um, they decide not to register with the party, but they tend to vote one direction or another. Yeah. But to your point, I think yeah. it's because we are a very highly competitive purple state. Yeah, I, I would think that a large number of people who have registered on affiliates are more closely aligned with one party or the other, and but uh, but. Uh, they do have that flexibility when it comes to the primaries. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause. We have one final segment. We want to talk about the new rules that are changing in 2024 and the legislation to watch in the upcoming year. We'll do that when we take time out for these messages, and they begin right now. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything, helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people, a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? 
Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit TalkAboutVaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina, and uh, uh, he has been with us a number of times. We introduced him early in the program as, of course, a former member of our new staff years and years ago, back when uh, he was just a puppy. Uh, but he has been serving as Executive Director of Common Calls, a, a nonpartisan advocacy group uh, that uh, uh, really works in uh, – great ways to be sure that our election process is good and that uh, we have more transparency in government and works across priority lines and, and seeks good compromises uh, and uh, has been very effective in, in bringing about a lot of stuff. Bob, let's talk a little bit about uh, the laws and rules that are changing for 2024. Um, obviously, every time the General Assembly meets, they pass some new laws. So what, what uh, are the laws that especially affect the areas that you're concerned with? You know, Don, I think the biggest one, there are a few, but I think the biggest one is is currently in litigation, and that is changing the uh, composition and the way the state board of election and the county board of elections are appointed. And people may not you know, know really what all that is, but just in the county, every county has a group of citizens that come together and they make the decisions on early voting, for instance. You know, how many early voting sites will say Wake County will use an example how many sites they will have, where are they located, what hours they operate. Those are very important decisions, particularly when increasingly now more people vote early rather than on election day. And Don, what they've done is the legislature, we currently have a um, law, or we did, I should say, it's no longer the law, but where county and state board of elections were a majority uh, with the party of the governor. And so at the uh, state board of elections, it was a 4-3 Democratic majority and at the county, every uh, county across the state would be three Democrats and two Republicans. Now the new law, and it sounds great, you even it out. Two Republicans, two Democrats um, at the county and four Democrats and four Republicans at the state. What we've seen nationally, though, when you have an even partisan commission or board is they deadlock, they gridlock. And you know, again, if I haven't lost anyone on this, I'll tell you what the big concern is. If a county board of elections early voting plan cannot be unanimously approved, it goes to the state board elections for resolution. If the state board of election deadlocks or four, then suddenly your county's early voting plan defaults to one early voting site, period. So, Don, you had about 800,000 Wake County Democratic, not Democratic, Wake County voters vote early in the last presidential election. Imagine if we have just one early voting site serving 800,000 voters. That's a possibility with this new law that was passed. Um, other laws, we have voter ID now. Uh, that has been controversial, but we are providing as much education as possible about that. And there's some other laws that will impact how uh, partisan observers who have a legal right to be in their precincts, how they conduct themselves as they are observing the election. Uh, but those are three areas where the legislature did uh, change laws, uh, not all of them good in our minds. And 
as I mentioned, uh, that one about the Board of Elections is being litigated right now. What about legislation that uh, might come up during the upcoming year? Well, you know, the upcoming year, the so-called short session, and they'll go in sometime in May, and it's, you know, was once upon a time um, just to adjust the budget uh, as they make out a two-year budget plan. Um, the traditional rule of thumb, Don, as you know, has always been, eh, we don't want to take up anything controversial in an election year. Uh, but what I think they will be doing is potentially reacting to some of this litigation that we've mentioned. Uh, as you mentioned at the very top of um, our, our conversation here, there is uh, litigation against the maps and there are there is litigation against some of these new voting laws. If there are court decisions that compel the legislature to have to go back and, and draw new maps or have to go back and change the uh, election laws, bad election laws in our view, but change those laws, then that would be principally what this upcoming, as they call it, short legislative session, uh, that, that's where they would do it. Otherwise, they do, Don, have, again, as you know, um, a, uh, a right, if you will, to take up any legislation that last year passed at least in one chamber. So there probably will be some things that they just did not get to pass, say the state Senate didn't pass the House or vice versa. Uh, and that ranges, you know, everything. So we'll see some of that as well. Well, through the years, we have made it easier to vote. I mean, more and more people are choosing either absentee ballots or uh, mail-in ballots, whichever, or, or both. And then also the uh, early voting uh, that both of those have been very effective, I think, in, in keeping the vote count up. Uh, any changes there uh, that uh, would either uh, affect what we now have or could enhance it? Well, the mail-in voting has become more popular since the pandemic. People saw how easy it was. The biggest change there, Don, was we had sort of adjusting the, for the fact that the U.S. mail doesn't always get ballots or mails, letters, whatever, to the place at the uh, postmarked date, you can have a letter that's postmarked and still it's not arriving at that date. And so we've had in North Carolina what we called a three-day grace period. And that is somebody mails in their ballot at the proper time before the election date, but yet it doesn't arrive to the precinct, uh, to the County Board of Elections, I should say, until sometimes as much as three days after the fact. In 2009, we passed a law that provided a three-day grace period. It was supported by Tim Moore and Phil Berger. In fact, it was supported by every Republican in every legislature in both chambers, every Republican and every Democrat in both chambers. And they repealed it last year based on, unfortunately, what I think is, again, the kind of big lie that somehow we had some problems and it's, you know, creating uh, lack of confidence. That three-day grace period was important. You had about 14,000 properly registered voters who did everything right, but the U.S. mail let them down and didn't get their ballot on time. Those ballots counted because we had the three-day grace period in 2020. We will no longer have it in 2024. And you're going to see potentially people who are properly registered become disenfranchised because of it. And that's, to me, one of the most egregious laws that was passed this past session. Same-day voter registration uh, has become popular. Uh, any changes there? 
They tightened up a little bit about the verification. When you have same-day voter registration, obviously you're giving people an opportunity to register and vote simultaneously all the way up into the Saturday before the election. Uh, there were some tweaks to it. Uh, we tried to work with both Republicans and Democrats to come to an agreement where we could all live with it. So I think by and large, most people will still be able to utilize same-day voter registration without too much uh, concern. There will be um, an additional ID requirement that the voter will have to show when they are utilizing same-day voter registration. Uh, that could be a hardship for some, but it was the um, the best agreement we could uh, you know, kind of come up with with the majority party. So we still have same day. Indeed, Don, Republicans are actually using it more than Democrats, for that matter, if anyone's interested. But it's utilized by uh, voters in both parties. Formal accusations of voter fraud uh, don't seem to get much press. Uh, are there many uh, accusations of voter fraud in North Carolina? Well, I don't know that there's a lot of accusations. There's a perception, of course, for, from some people who do not accept the the last presidential election, you know, of, of folks of that ilk who kind of promote that. But, Don, that's a great question and very timely because the State Board of Elections and all the County Board of Elections just recently certified the November election. And what that means is they did what they call the canvas all the ballots, all the machines, all the things are, you know, looked over. You have audits and nothing was amiss. There is no systemic fraud that is occurring in North Carolina. Are there some cases where somebody has, you know, voted uh, when they shouldn't have? Maybe they weren't properly registered. Um, that certainly has happened. I don't think it didn't see anything in the last local elections as they have certified the races. But we have a good elections process and we have not seen any evidence of widespread fraud in our state, period. So I think it's um, it's a bogus issue that some people are promoting and it's a shame they are doing such. Oh, we've got about uh, two and a half minutes for you to Give us a, a look at what you as uh, executive director of Common Cause North Carolina will be working on in the immediate future and also during the year 2024. Uh, short term problems or opportunities that you are looking at and also for the entire year. So take off and give us a little summary of what you're going to be working on uh, and being concerned about. Thank you uh, for that uh, opportunity, Don, and I'll promise to get off my soapbox at uh, the right time. But I think primarily it, with 2024, obviously, the number one issue we need to work on is, uh, you know, voter education. And I say that in a nonpartisan frame, and that is we want people to to cast a ballot and we want them to vote. Democracy works best when we have robust participation, and that's for everybody. So first and foremost, we need to educate voters about the new rules that you and I have talked about, making sure they understand some of the rules that have been changed that could impact them, making sure that they understand, you know, just the basics of what elections, when to vote, when to register, when are those deadlines. And also, again, in a nonpartisan frame, what offices are uh, up for election? As you mentioned, Don, the long ballot we have so that people understand why should I even vote for 
the labor commissioner or what is the state superintendent's office? How does it impact my life or this state Supreme Court justice election? Why is that important? We will be doing education uh, from now until November, uh, particularly trying to get the demographic that votes the least. And that's that 18 to 29 young people Uh, get them registered, but they often don't show up at the polls. We are trying to get people registered and we're trying to get people to show up and vote. And again, that's both sides. Um, The other things we'll work on, obviously, and we'll continue is anything and everything we can do to defend voting rights. We always do that. And we'll continue to uh, ring the bell, sound the alarm for fair maps. We will always have a problem with our democracy as long as we let the party in power draw their own districts. We must someday pass comprehensive, meaningful redistricting reform. So, Don, I think my soapbox here is getting a little bit wobbly. <laughs> well, that's, you've left me with just enough time to thank you for being with us again. Uh, again, if uh, people are uh, interested in sharing this broadcast with friends, they can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and share the broadcast. Or if you missed a section or two of the broadcast, you can also hear it at carolinanewsmakers.com. Jason Kong, as usual, has produced our program, and he promises me faithfully that he will have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. So on behalf of Jason and our entire team here at Curtis Media Group, we hope that you and yours have a wonderful week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.